Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our first Twitter Spaces in like two weeks. Feels like it's been a while. Uh, I've been very busy and just haven't found the time. But we're back at it. And we're back at it on a pretty good day because the Yankees won 5-4 walk-off win over the Cleveland Guardians. They've won four of their last five. They're starting to look like a real baseball team. And that's encouraging. Um, I don't know how many people we're going to actually have in the space, but we are recording it. So, Cass, which again, we haven't done in a little while. But, um... Peter, hi, how are you? Hey, Josh. Uh, thanks for holding up a little bit while I did my errands, which I know that you're going to bring up in the beginning of this uh, this podcast. But yeah, happy happy end to what looked like it could have been a bleak day, especially uh, with Nestor dealing and the offense not providing a ton of support early on, but they got there. Yeah, so I do want to talk a little bit. Uh, we're going to talk about everything that happened in the Yankees game. We're going to talk a little bit about Miguel Cabrera. Um, but before, so I, I texted um, so I texted Peter and I said, you know, let's do a Twitter space after the game because the game ended exciting. There was a lot going on. And he said, okay, give me until five because I'm running errands. I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem. And uh, he, he's like, oh, the, there's a lineup at the drive through ATM, which, first of all, what even is a drive through ATM? Second of all, there's this like fascinating thing that Americans have where like for a country that was entirely built around like being the financial and economic engine of the world, your consumer finance system just doesn't work at all. Um, My favorite thing about America is like when I go, uh, if I'm like at a restaurant and I give like, I have to give my credit card to the server and they walk away with it, which doesn't make sense to me. Why, why, where are you going with my credit card? (laughs) Please don't take that. Um, and I still have to sign for things like sign for a credit card. So there's that there's apparently, so, um, you got your income tax refund. So congratulations on that. Um, but they send you an actual check. They don't just deposit it in your bank account. So you're given when you're doing the, the tax filing software, you're given a choice between direct deposit or a paper check. And I'm, I'm just old fashioned like that. So I, I, I physically requested the paper check. And then you can't like, so like on my phone in a country with a robust consumer finance sector, uh, I just take a picture of the check and it gets deposited into my account. And this has been the way for, I think that was like 2014 or 2015 that became the standard. That's new for you or do you not have well, that at all? <laughs> so, so um, also old fashioned of me or old man of me, I haven't updated my iOS in months and my the banking app doesn't work on the old version, so I'm stuck 27? in the I am. Okay. We don't need to talk about that. Um, but but yeah, no, it's uh, yeah. The the refund refund check came in. I wasn't even expecting it, but then like uh, so Biden had paid out uh like uh, COVID relief to all taxpayers, and I hadn't I didn't get mine, so like that's what the refund is. This. I don't even know ah. if I'm allowed to share that publicly, but who cares? Whatever. 
I'm Whatever. getting five. I'm getting five K back in my refund, so I'm feeling good. Um, you- just be a speaker. I feel like if there's not a lot of people here, if it's just the three of us, we can kind of just chat, and this will get recorded. I see that you're the only one that stayed through our conversation of the American consumer finance system. <laughs> um, you know what, buddy? Here, I'll invite you, and then you can decide what you want to do. Um, but yes, we should actually talk about uh, the Yankees. Um, I mean, I guess start with hooligans, Peter. Yeah, not um, a look. So everybody saw it. The Yankees, Isaiah kind of hits a ball to the outfield. Stephen Kwan runs face first into the left field wall, which it's something that like as much baseball as I watch, it always surprises me that guys, I get that they're tracking the ball and everything, but like the way that a grown man will just run, you know, a 200 pound person will run full sprint into a wall. Um, always manages to surprise me when it happens um i get that they're focused on other things but it's just uh you know it's a weird thing i hope he's okay he looked really banged up and of course that wall at yankee stadium it's kind of like it's kind of like it's the video board so it's got like a fence over it and i guess his face is pretty cut up so i hope that Stephen kwan is okay and then according to oscar mercado uh and miles straw who are the other two at cleveland outfielders today something got said by someone in the outfield and it let Miles Straw off. And I think it's important when we have these kind of conversations to remember like baseball players get heckled constantly, especially outfielders constantly. They constantly have things yelling at, yelled at them and they almost never react. So they're pretty desensitized to, you know, garden variety heckling. And that makes me think that whatever was said must have been sort of beyond what we would consider like regular heckling. Um, And Miles Straw took exception to that. He crawled about halfway up the outfield fence and started jawing back uh, at fans. And then, you know, Glaber Torres had a walk-off hit that drove in kind of left and the Yankees won the game. And, And boy, did Glaber Torres need a moment like that, given how lost he's looked all year. Um, and you know, we don't even really get to celebrate it because fans start throwing full cans of beer on the field at the Cleveland outfield. And, um, I mean, this is like a confluence of things. I think I've never been a big fan of selling liquor past the seventh inning at, at games. I think that you're just putting yourself in dangerous positions. I saw similar things have happened. Like it's, it's not, it doesn't just happen at Yankee stadium. Of course, very famously happened at the Rogers center, uh, in the wild card game against the Orioles a couple of years ago. But um, yeah, I mean, I just kind of thought, Peter, what did you think? I mean, it, it's, it's gross. That, um, but is there anything more worth saying? No, I, well, yeah, I mean, the, I'm like, I'm just going to get it out in front that I'm not condoning any of the behavior that happened. It was pretty gross to see that happen. Like you said, Quan ran into probably the worst spot in the outfield wall that he could have. It's basically for people who don't, aren't familiar with the Yankee stadium. It's like a chain link fence covering like a hard glass or like led scoreboard. And he, he went full tilt face first into it. And I like looking at the slow-mo replay, he looked a little concussed. I, I was worried he, he was really hurt. And it was again, not condoning anything that happened, but I think it was just kind of a, a perfect storm confluence of events that led to the ultimate throwing of shit onto the field like straw climbing the fence and drawing just gave these already drunk fans all the ammunition 
that they needed to escalate their actions. And, and then we saw the, we saw the result of it. And like, talk about, talk about really ruining what was otherwise like a, a pretty awesome moment, especially like you said, for Glaber Torres, who's been scuffling to start the season. You know, this is exactly the kind of moment that you think, Hey, can this jumpstart, you know, jumpstart a season for him. And all that people are going to remember is, Judge and and D having to go and literally tell people stop throwing shit onto the field. Um, so yeah, it really it really rained on what could have been a, a, a otherwise really happy moment for the Yankees. Um, and again, I ca- I'm going to keep saying I'm not condoning this, but it stood. It was an interesting reference point because if you, I don't know if how many of y'all watch like Premier League games, like British Premier League games, people throw shit onto the field every single time like the op the away team scores and it's just like it's just like any 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 other sunday and it's it's interesting to see the the difference in uh the public's reaction to such an event of it's it seems almost commonplace there and it's not a good thing to do regardless of where it is regardless of what the event is and so a a couple questions on that so like i don't i don't watch the premier league um uh, i believe in america um so (laughs) how far away are fans from the field? Cause I think oh. that baseball is like baseball and basketball. You are right on top of the players. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. In the premier League. they're okay. right on top of the field. Okay. Um, yeah. And are and, they, and, are, and do you get served beer in cans or is it in those glass bo- cups? Glass bottles. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know what? Don't be like soccer hooligans. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just anyway, don't throw so stuff onto the field. Yeah. There was a, there was a baseball game that was played and it was a pretty good, pretty entertaining baseball game um so nestor cortez jr uh he finally gave up a run uh if you had the pool at 14 and two-thirds shutout innings to start the season congratulations you win he got into the fifth inning before josh naylor took him deep for a two-run home run struck out eight guys walked two uh six and a third innings really really strong again um i I mentioned in the recap but i thought what was really telling about the way that the yankees think about Nestor in that seventh inning, Jose Ramirez is leading off. So Jose Ramirez is everyone knows he's one of the four or five best hitters in the game. And he's off to a great start this year. And uh, it's the third time he's faced Cortez in the game. So Clay Holmes is warm in the bullpen. Like there's no one would blame Aaron Boone for going to the bullpen in that spot. That makes a lot of sense. Bring Holmes in. And then there are two righties hitting after Ramirez. So you have, you know, Ramirez is a switch hitter. He's going to have the platoon advantage no matter what you do. But no, Boone leaves Cortez into Ramirez. And Cortez gets him with like a really weak pop-up on on the third time through. And the second time Ramirez had faced Cortez, he absolutely froze him with uh, a pitch uh, cutter on the inside that he sort of did that weird, you know, delay in his in his delivery. But... I think that's really telling of like, there's a lot of memes about Nestor Cortez Jr. And deservedly so, because he's fun to watch. But I I wonder, like, people, I'm not sure maybe taking Nestor Cortez seriously. I think that he's, because he's so fun and he's so unexpected, maybe are not giving him the credit or the respect that he maybe deserves for being a legitimately good pitcher. And clearly the Yankees are like, hey, the best hitter on the team is up. We feel comfortable leaving Nestor in. Yeah, isn't it interesting that in the early going, it seems like they have the most trust in Nestor of all their starters to not only go that third time through the order, but to face, like you said, a top five hitter in baseball. I mean, talk about a meteoric rise 
for a pitcher who, like you said, doesn't get a lot of the recognition he deserves because we've talked about this a lot. His stuff is legitimately elite. When you look at the movement, mm-hmm. the rise on his fastball, when you look at the horizontal sweep on his slider, and um, I think Eno Saris did uh, looked at his command and it has him near the top of his command plus leaderboards. Like he is a, a legit pitcher who I think a lot of I think people are starting to come around, but I think there's still a significant portion who still view him as that <clears throat> kind of crafty, uh, weird angles lefty. But no, like his his stuff matches up with with anybody Mm -hmm. how how good i mean we talked about this in slack but like it's been a fun ride um it's probably going to be some regression he's probably going to have a bad game at some point maybe he doesn't but he's probably going to have a bad game at some point if we're talking about like 162 game season of nestor cortez how good like how good is this guy yeah i mean i think people just have to completely reevaluate their projections for him I think here, let me take a look at what Fangraph's pro- projection was for him preseason. They had him as like a one and a half win pitcher. And I think with today's start, he's already probably going to be up to a win. And um, yeah, I mean, the thing the thing about Ness, Michael K and, and Cone, Coney talked about on the broadcast is that you're always kind of waiting for the, the house of to collapse. <clears throat> but I, I don't think, think it's a house of cards. I don't like, think it is. Exactly. And I think Cone made a really was was sure to to kind of reiterate the point that no the work that Nestor put in over, especially over the off season in in increasing his strength and getting more physically fit of a better term um, is what's allowing his stuff to play up and of course we've we've talked a lot about the influence that Matt Blake and the rest of the pitching coaches have had with pitch design and it's something that we're going to continue to talk about all throughout the year I think that they've identified these characteristics of of his pitches that can get anybody out and i think that there is a stickiness to it i think i mean he's he he sits near the top of the the uh spin rate leaderboards on a lot of his pitches and again the command i mean i think i've always said command is such a elusive thing to capture but it really is i don't know i think it's the next frontier for for pitch evaluation of course it's hard to codify intent and stuff like that but the way that he commands all of his pitches to all quadrants of the zone and is not afraid to use multiple different pitches in any count in any given situation i just think makes him such a hard matchup for hitters i mean he he has trust of five different pitches and commands them all you know at an above average ability cone was talking a lot about his cutter on the broadcast and kind of shameless plug here i just uh, a piece just went up on the on the site that I wrote for today about uh, Nestor and Lucas Lickie's cutters. And I think it's really cool because we've seen how the cutter uh, has been added to Garrett Cole and Luis Severino's arsenals. But the cutter that Cortez and Lickie throw is a completely different variation. And I think it's a, a really cool insight into the way that the Yankees are not taking really a, a one-size-fits-all approach to pitch design, even with the same pitch type. Mm-hmm. Um and his, I mean, his cutter, it really does play up. And you, you see how off balance hitters are. And I think the success of his cutter owes a lot to how sneaky good his fastball is, his four-seamer is. Yes. Because the spin, the spin on the cutter mirrors really closely with the four-seamer, but it has that, that sharp, late, horizontal break and a little bit of that speed differentiation between the two pitches. So the fact that he's able to throw both to all four quadrants and in all counts, I think just makes him such an unpredictable pitcher. Um, so 
entering play today, his FIP was negative, which is always a C. Yeah. Um, so he's with this start today, he struck out 45% of batters he's faced. I don't think that that continues over 130, 140 innings or whatever he throws this year. I do think Agreed. that he agree barring a bar. I think that he stays in the rotation for the entire season. Like I, I don't see a reason for the Yankees to move him in and out to give a spot start to protect his innings. Like, Number one, he's been your best pitcher, so get as much out of him as you can. And number two, he he's a bonus. Like, he really is a bonus in this rotation. So while you're protecting Severino and, you know, maybe as with Garrett Cole that needs to be focused on is, like, Garrett, just go out and throw five innings. Like, throw the best five innings that you possibly can. We know that Cole is a guy that wants to finish every single game, but just go and throw the best five innings that you possibly can. we got to fix you. Cole or Cortez is a bonus. So ride him as much as you possibly can this season. And I mean, clearly he can go into the sixth inning or past the sixth inning, I guess. So I don't think that he is going to strike out 45% of batters, but again, like to your point, like the cutter is legit. The fastball is legit. The slider is legit. He has three real pitches. So He's not. He's. I don't think he's also going to go down all of a sudden to striking out twenty percent of batters. Like he's a guy that I think is going to be slight, you know, somewhat above average in terms of in terms of his strikeout rate. So we're talking like twenty eight, twenty nine percent. He commands, so he's not going to walk a ton of guys. He's going to give up a home run at some point. Um, well, I guess he gave up one today. But I mean, you put it all together, and you're looking at like what, like a 3.7 to 3.9 ERA pitcher over a full season? Like, yeah. that's a that's a three-and-a-half, four-win player. I was going to say, that's like a four-win player. For nothing. Yeah. Like and, and, yeah, to your point, he, he, provides, he provides the rotation protection because if you know that he's going to go out there and give you six-plus innings every starts, that allows you to be a little bit more liberal reliever usage if, say, Cole doesn't have it on his start. You know, or can only give you five of those, like you know, full tilt innings. Mm. So uh, he's—I mean—he's such a valuable asset at the back of their rotation. And I—I—I I, I, I agree with you that there's no reason for him to move him from that role. I think you keep—you keep rolling with him as long as he keeps showing it to you. Yeah. Um, and I do think—I think that—I think the strikeout numbers, like you said, he's not going to strike out forty plus percent of batters. But I think—I think they're sticky. I mean, I could definitely see him being, you know, in that elite tier of the the twenty percent plus strikeout minus walk ratio sure that's yeah very he doesn't walk guys either. yeah yeah he, he's walking like three percent of batters this year and i mean that's like that's in the in the tier of the coals and the degroms and everybody you know that that 20 percent threshold and yeah i mean it's 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 a breath of fresh air it's fun to watch um maybe is it like the new market inefficiency to have a guy who doesn't throw a hundred with a drop slider you know who knows? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think people say that sort of stuff a lot, and then it's like, well, then how come Jonathan Lewisaga is still great, <laughs> right? And, you know, like so. Yeah, I, no, I, I say like, that half jokingly, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that like you can't, or like, why is Luis Severino great? Like, there's, there is different, there are different ways to pitch, and like, I do think that we need, again, we've talked about it, but like, we do need to be careful about how we talk about Nestor Cortez because he isn't Jamie Moyer. Like right. he's not, or or Jared Weaver, or any of these other like junk, like junk baller lefties. He's not. His stuff is legit. I, mm-hmm. I just like every single time that, that I watch him. I, you know, he's made three starts this year. They've all been excellent. Yeah, like I I get this 
I get this feeling that you're waiting for him to get rocked. Like you, you're waiting for that cutter that he threw to Jose Ramirez. You're waiting for that ball to be hit 480 feet into Monument Park. And Ramirez can't, can't do anything on it. Like just stands there and it's, it's middle in. It's a pitch that he, I've seen Jose Ramirez crush that ball before and he cannot pick it up. It, it completely fools him and he stands there and he strikes out and it's, it keeps happening. And you're like, well, what if, the, what if this is Nestor Cortez? Again, he's not going to run a, a one fifteen ERA or whatever it is right now. But uh, yeah, I think that this guy, Cole is still the ace. I mean, we'll see about that. Um, hmm. Sevi has been really impressive. After that, I think I think Cortez is like the third guy in this rotation. Oh, I agreed. Mean, definitely. You agree. know, I, like we're projecting out the whole season, obviously. You know, because I don't I don't think he quite has the ceiling of a Cole or Severino. But no. boy, like if you found a four win pitcher thing, <laughs> that is that is really something, and it just goes to speak to like this crazy organizational shift of the Yankees, where they are a pitching dominant organization all of a sudden which uh has not been the case for a hundred plus years baseball yeah a hundred percent and that we're even saying that when it's been the one thing that we've been clamoring for as a fan base you know ad nauseum and like just going back to that jose ramirez at bat i'm looking at it like jose was late and underneath a 91 mile an hour fastball that was yeah. pretty much middle middle yeah, Jose Ramirez is as good a hitter as Mike Trout is. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and he is he is no answer for 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 Cortez. It's 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 incredible. It's it's so it's so crazy. It was a crazy start. Um, the other thing that I want to talk about with this game, that sort of middle third of the order, Josh Donaldson, Aaron Hicks, Joey Gallo, looked pretty good today. Uh, Donaldson reached base three times. Uh, Hicks reached what twice? Yep. And Gallo reached twice, plus he had that really hard line drive in the ninth that could have been a double. And this is where, like, I really think that the Yankees need... I mean, I think that there's some interesting stuff with kind of Falefa's new swing is, like, reasonably interesting. I don't have any faith in Kyle Agashioka at all. I don't care. And, you know, we know that Judge and Stanton are going to hit. Like, Stanton does this every year. He has a cold three weeks, and then he, he picks it up. But... If you get those three guys, Donaldson, Hicks, Gallo, playing to their career lines. So, I mean, Donaldson, a 125, 130 WRC plus hitter. Hicks, probably a little bit less than that. And Gallo, probably a little bit more than that. Then all of a sudden, this lineup looks really long and really dangerous. If those three guys aren't hitting, then it's, you know, it's DJ and Judge and Stanton and and not much else. Um, It's only one game, but... I thought a really, really encouraging game from those three guys who who the Yankees really need them to to carry some of the freight on days Judge isn't gonna hit two home runs. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's that's why you bring in a Donaldson and a Gallo is is to cover those days. Giancarlo is cold and and Judge has an off day. And I think that was always the intention. And unfortunately it didn't come in the first few weeks. Uh, and with Gallo, it's been more of an extended period. But yeah, I mean, you and I have talked about how how much this team needs a four win bat that just plugs into the middle of their lineup. And any of the you know two of those three guys, when they're playing at true potential, is that guy. 
which is I may be a little bit pessimistic that they're that they will make you know any big addition between now and the trade deadline. I think that the chips were pushed in on look, these are our guys, Joey Gallo, Josh Donaldson, these are our guys who. Well, I also don't know what, like, we're going to have this conversation in June again, but I don't know who you could even pick up at the deadline. Like, it's not going to be a good... Right. um, It's kind of barren. Yeah. I don't want Jesus Aguilar. Yeah. Yeah. I think you and I have said, like, who's the best hitter who's plausibly available? Probably Nelson Cruz. And And he doesn't have a spot on the roster. He doesn't have a spot on the lineup. So... But yeah, no, like, to, to your point about, like, Hicks, you wrote about Hicks has looked better, especially over the last week. I think that the leadoff role is an interesting. I mean, if he can continue to draw walks at the rate that he is, he does look a little less jumpy at the plate to my eye. I think I do like the leadoff role for Hicks. Donaldson, I, I'm just, I'm not worried about him. You know, he no. he grinds. Uh, well, okay, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not worried about him the way that I'm worried about Joey Gallo. But like, Donaldson, you know, like, you know, when you need it, you, he's going to draw a walk mm-hmm. at a minimum. And when he's going to ball the center field and or, it out. Right. Like, or he's going to jack one out and pimp, pimp the shit out of it. Um, uh, but, speaking of, though, if I don't think that – so the ball is not juiced this year. I think we can all agree on that. Oh, and uh, Josh, maybe maybe because that that ball almost was caught. I know. And, it, uh, it wasn't a no about Halfway to first base. I, I mean, I love it. I love the confidence. It's, it's part of what has made Josh Donaldson one of my favorite players for a long time. But, like – I was watching that ball die out there, and I was like, that better get over the fence, or that's going to look really stupid. But it got over, so that's what matters. Yeah. I think, you know, the lineup construction thing is really interesting to me. I mean, DJ kind of gets the leadoff spot by default, but his mechanics just look so much better. Like, he just – I don't think that DJ LeMahieu is ever going to be a 160 WRC-plus hitter over a full season. But, like, again, if we're talking about a guy that – is similar to Donaldson, that kind of 120, 130 bat. The amount of times that DJ puts the ball in play, I'm kind of trying to figure out, and, and, you know, it's mostly just like back of the envelope stuff, but like DJ is going to have a lot of hard contact, which to me, I mean, I see the value when hitting behind Judge and Stanton when he was hitting fifth there for a little bit, because Judge and Stanton are going to get on base a lot. And then you have a guy in DJ that's going to make a lot of hard contact and, and move those guys around the bag. The downside to that is the double plays, which DJ made. that's going to be part of the thing. When you have DJ on your team, he's going to hit into a lot of double plays because he makes a ton of contact. So trying to balance the cost benefit of that is a really interesting one to me because he's just like, even if he's hitting lead off, like, yeah, he only leads off once a game, but, Kyle Higashioka is hitting in front of him. So, like, DJ is not going to hit into a lot of double plays with with Higgy batting ninth. So, it's an interesting thing, but the lineup looked good today. And so, I'm kind of just inclined to be like, this is a team that's been struggling to score. Lots of hard contact. Every single guy in the order had uh, a batted ball over 95 miles per hour today. Yep. So, but yeah. This was the first. This was the first game in about a week that I was like, "Okay, this this baseball team is starting to look like a baseball team again." Yeah, and then and even and even saying that, and I agree. I th- I looked at the lineup when they when the Yankees released the lineup. I was like, "Okay, like I can definitely work with this." And then through the first six innings, it's like, "Ah, shit, not again." But um, yeah, I was I was worried there. I was <laughs> I was actually contemplating going for a walk in the beautiful weather that we have here when. Nestor was shoving, and he was getting no run support again. Thankfully, thankfully, I stuck around. But can we actually talk about Chad Green for a second? 
I'd prefer not to, but okay. I, okay, I'm, <laughs> what if are I could your just chat say, green thoughts? Yeah, I just want to say there's really no justification in my mind, there, and I know it's just it's two bad outings, but we've seen this too much from him. I mean, I think there's no justification for him being as high up on the totem pole as he still is. Like, I could name like maybe one reliever who I want to see less, like come into a high leverage situation right now than him. Is it Wandy? Yeah. So I'm so over Wandy Peralta. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, this is, you can kind of see, and, like, this is what kind of sucks about baseball these days, is, like, you can see that Chad Green is starting to lose it. Like, he's not in his prime anymore. He was never, like, his command was never great. It was just that, like, he threw a high spin fastball, 96, up at a time. Like, this again, like, we're talking, like, 2017, 2018, when he was really a, 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 a really elite reliever. Mm-hmm. Um, he was doing that sort of on the vanguard of of a lot of relievers being able to do that. Now that everybody does it, he's never had a great breaking ball. Like, and that's been, I think, the biggest difference. Like, if you watched Emmanuel Classe today, like, yeah, he's got this incredible 102 mile per hour cutter that is like if you just like ha- if Mariano Rivera and Captain America love child, like that's the pitch that they would be able to throw. <laughs> yeah, and but this crazy 90 mile per hour slider at the top of the zone that you can't do anything with. Like never had that. He's always just really relied on a fastball and he gets, he has gotten hit. Like he's always gotten hit hard when he misses with the fastball. And you can just see that like, he's lost a little bit off it. He, you know, proverbially he's lost a bit off the fastball. Um, And yeah, I agree with you. I don't see, I don't see why you would want him in over five guys in that bullpen exactly yeah and he's always been a one-pitch pitcher and he's still a one-pitch pitcher and that one pitch is not only has it become been made um sort of average by the rest of the league catching up to it but it's actually just gotten worse like on Mm -hmm. its own like he's throwing it slower it has less rise it has less spin like it's just kind of an average four-seam fastball now and if you're a high leverage reliever with a 94 mile an hour meh fastball and a curveball that you really have no business throwing i just mm. i just don't really see how that's valuable to a team especially and it just with- goes to it just goes to show like i think that there has been this uh thing around like the yankees where it's like oh like we have matt blake and we have like all this pitching tech and so you give us your pitchers and we will fix them um, and it's like, well, it, it doesn't always work because I, I guarantee you the Yankees have spent years, four years trying to teach Chad Green a secondary pitch and yeah. none of it has worked. I yeah. don't maybe, you know, maybe this new sweeping slider that they've been uh, rolling out with a bunch of guys is going to take. I doubt it. But it is just like, like there's very clearly something with Chad Green where he just cannot cannot get a handle on a second pitch. And. Um, it's gonna, it should cost him a spot, um, if it hasn't already. Um, but you know what? There's other stuff to talk about in baseball. Um, hello, Sam. Everybody welcome Sam. He's one of our newer writers. Uh, his first article was Sunday, I think? Monday? Monday. Monday. How do you feel? Did you get any death threats? Uh, I honestly, I just tried to avoid it for the most part. I figured, but I mean, if you're making people mad, that's kind of, you know. That's the art. Yeah, that's that's the art of it. So, mm. um, so I wanted to talk to Sam and Peter uh, about Miguel Cabrera, um, one of the best, the very, very best baseball players that 
you or I or anybody in this chat uh, will ever see. Uh, he had his 3,000 pit today. There was a fun little moment where he had his 3,000 pit. There was They stopped play and they did the standing ovation. And then Spencer, Spencer Torkelson hit a very Miguel Cabrera-esque right field home run, uh, you know, going the other way. And it was like, oh, like, this is how time works. <laughs> like, Miguel Cabrera <laughs> is very much on the downswing of his career. Uh, and Spencer Torkelson kind of, like, looks a lot like Miguel Cabrera, at least on that one swing. Um, but so Cabrera has the 500 home runs. He has 3,000 hits. He's probably going to be the last guy for a while to get 3,000 hits. So I believe that Jose Altuve is the next closest. Or sorry, no. Um, Robinson Cano. Guys? Robinson Cano is, of course, yeah. Cano is the next closest. Um, I have in front of me uh, a piece that Dan Zaborski did last year. Um, where he ran Zip's projections just uh, to see who would be the next guy to get to 3,000 hits. And, like, the only players that have above a 20% chance of reaching 3,000 hits are Jose Altuve, Freddie Freeman, and Fernando Tatis Jr., and then 15%. So, uh, Freeman, I would be really skeptical. He 1,700-odd hits. Um, I mean, he's younger than I think he is. He's only 32, but it strikes me as someone that is probably not going to get to 3,000 hits. Altuve, I mean, kind of see it. It's sort of his kind of game. Um, Tatis and Sink, they're just, they're just way too far out to really say with any kind of confidence that they'll get there. They're just so, so far away. But, you know... At the same time, like, do you need 3,000 hits to be recognized as a great player anymore? Like, I think this is this is the conversation I wanted to have with you two. Like, we're not going to see 3,000 hits. We're not going to see 300 wins. We might not see 500 home runs for a while. Um, these are, like, the classic um, milestones of what makes a great player. And um, they're kind of impossible to get to. Yeah, and I I would even go out on a limb and say we might like Miguel Cabrera might be the last guy to get to three thousand hits. Um, I know Jay Jaff had. Am I? I've never. Is it Jaff or Jaffe? Let me just it's get Jaffe. That. Okay, I it's Jaffe. I, yeah, I know Jay Jaffe. Pinstripe really, Alley alumni. Uh, I know, Jay I know, Jaffe. I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, everybody shit on me for not knowing how to pronounce his name, but no. Um, I think he wrote a really good piece earlier in the week about. Uh, just declining offense in general and uh, pointing at, um, you know, declining averages across the league, how 2022, you know, small sample caveat and everything is on pace to have the lowest league batting average in either the live orders. Um, and I think just kind of this uh, pitchers are so nasty these days that I just really don't see how you're going to get people who can string together 15 straight 200 hit seasons. Like, like you said, Altuve had a couple of them and he looked like maybe he was on pace. Uh, I don't think he gets there. I definitely don't think Freeman gets there. Like you look at Machado and Trout, both at 1400, they're not going to get there. Um, and then, so you have to kind of turn your attention to some of the younger generation, Tatis, Soto, Vlad, uh, Acuna. And I also, don't think any of them get to 3,000 hits. Um, I think there's, it's just harder to get 
hits in baseball nowadays than it ever has been before. Um, there's probably also like an increased emphasis on on base for drawing walks than maybe there had been in the past. Um, so uh, we're good. Yeah, we're going to talk about maybe adjusting those milestones. I think 500 home runs is still in reach for a lot of players. But Sam, I'd like to get your take on. Do you think we will ever see another someone after Miguel Cabrera get to 3,000 hits? Just very, very quickly before Sam gets to it, I just want to make a quick point on batting average. And I don't care about batting average, but I think obviously you need it to get hits. So I have all the 3,000 hitters uh, in front of me. The two lowest career batting averages for guys that uh, have 3,000 hits, Cal Ripken is the lowest at 276. And Ricky Henderson is the second lowest at 279. Now, the two things that those guys had is they played forever. Like, they did not go away. And, you know, if – I don't think that any of us would be surprised if Fernando Tatis Jr. in his you know in his early 20s hit 279 this year. Like, we'd be like, yeah, that's a good season for Tatis on all runs. But it's like, I don't think he's going to do that for 24 years, however fucking long Ricky played for. Um so like yeah like I just think like just the math just doesn't doesn't work. Anyway, Sam, uh, curious, jump off of what what Peter said. Yeah, yeah, I think like with you know Soto, what you said was one of the higher percentages, and I think just that that just the amount of walks he draws like almost automatically makes it so unlikely. And I had this conversation about like how far away anybody else is from that today. And uh, my first guess was Machado, but you were right; he's only you know fourteen hundred, so. That's a ways to go, and he's you know in his eleventh season right now, uh, and and I know for a while it was uh, sort of a thing that there was no modern Hall of Famers with two thousand hits, and I, I feel like just all those those figures uh, are just kind of they sort of have to adjust with just the way you know the way players are playing now, and uh, and just as as more and more players sort of you know careers go and come and go, I think yeah, I mean those numbers will have to adjust. And I think 500 home runs still works because, I don't know, that seems much more in reach and much more just plausible with the way modern game is. But, yeah, I mean, 3,000 is a long, long ways away. I think our best bet is probably getting next to unretire. <laughs> he was so close. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah like what a weird. What are we, so it's, it's funny that you guys are talking about it. I'm going to pull up because Dan did the same exercise with 500 home runs. So I just want to see what who did he have? So he he gave Mike Trout an eighty five percent chance to hit five hundred home runs. Mm. Tatis Tatis forty six percent, Cruz forty two percent, Soto and Acuna thirty five percent, Vlad Guerrero thirty percent. Those are the only guys with at least a thirty percent chance. Forty six home runs seems like crazy high, right? I feel. Um, I mean, this was last August before he broke his wrist and then fell again. And someone should put rules around what Fernando Tatis Jr. is allowed to do. Um, <laughs> but I'm actually skeptical. I'm actually more skeptical than you guys are that that we'll see a 500 home run hitter. I think that the new I think the new mark is probably four. I think if you're a 400 home run hitter, I think that that's going to start carrying more cachet because we're just not going to see guys get to that level. And so, I guess the big question is, Peter and I texted we're texting about this earlier this week but it's like like 65 war is kind of the cutoff you know be right around there that's what we see as a hall of famer you know it, it used to be 3,000 hits it used to be 500 home runs now it's like if you're at like 65 ish war you're a hall of famer but there isn't a moment where you cross 65 war like war just doesn't 
function that way. There won't be, you know, a moment where but where Aaron they stop Judge, the Aaron Judge crosses everybody. 65 war and they stop <laughs> the game and they're like, oh my God, amazing. Like, that's just not the way the stat works. So then, like, how do we memorialize players when most of them aren't going to get to the the metrics that we've decided are important for career accumulation and the metrics that we do see value in just don't function the same way. Yeah. I think um, the thing is, I think that the milestones such as like 300 wins, 3000 strikeouts, 500 home runs and 3000 hits are so deeply entrenched in baseball history that I think just the broad baseball community will continue to hold those up as like the, the memorialization moments where, you know, the game stops and, and the PA announcer makes an announcement. Everybody, you know, gives them a standing ovation and stuff. I don't, I don't know that that moves to 400 and you get the same, the same on-field moment when someone hits their 400th career home run. I think, I just think that we're just going to see a lot, a lot fewer of those, of those moments where, where, you know, time gets to stand still and, you know, they get to have their nice moment like Miguel Cabrera had today. But just going back to that 500 home run, like the you talked about, what was it, Trout and Tatis having 47 percent? That's that's Trout, so Trout has an 85 percent chance. That's not gonna. I like that might not happen. He's 230 I mean, away. Mike Trout is a six win player now, so it's fine. Yeah, no, I I would if there were if there was one person on this list that I would say gets 500, I think it would be Trout. Yeah. I think just Nelson because, Cruz has a better chance of getting 500 than Trout does. Uh, I mean, how I could. I Cruz, how much longer? Like, again, like, uh, I hate to say it, but like, how much fucking longer is he going to play? I don't know. I mean, so I guess, I guess, more of the question is like, okay, like, let's say none of these guys get to 500. That doesn't erase the fact that Mike Trout is one of the three or four best baseball players I've ever watched. Um, I don't like when people say Mike Trout is the best player we've ever seen as if like Barry Bonds didn't exist for all, all, all of our lifetimes. It doesn't matter. We're not going to get into that now. But yeah, like I, I guess I just think, and the other thing that I think relevant to the home run conversation is like the guys that are going to be in these conversations, like A-Rod has 600 home runs. You know, we're, we're learning more and more about the help that a lot of these guys got to get to these levels and certainly the 3000 hit leaderboard is is a similar kind of thing yeah i don't know i don't know and then i think you know the darkest sort of thoughts of my head are just like this is by design as well like this continual this is a symptom of this continual pressure to make major leaguers as cheap and expendable as possible so they're not going to get the playing time that cal ripken no one's going to be allowed to start however many games cal ripken started um, nobody's going to be given like the angels cut Albert Pujols, you know, and the only team in baseball that I don't believe anything that was reported to the contrary. The only team in baseball that wanted him was St. Louis for one very specific role. Like, I just don't think that teams are going to give the chances to players that it's going to take to get to these milestones either. Yeah, I think that's definitely right. And I, I think, I don't know. I think maybe that those, those moments that we're talking about might just have, have of the past, because like, if you were to say, okay, it's, it's 2,500 hits now and, you know, 400 home runs. I, I don't know. I feel like that would take a lot of convincing to get people to hop on board and be, and, uh, you know, just be totally on board with that. And although to the contrary, we could, you could just go the extreme opposite and have those moments all the time. Because I think last year 
there were, I think there was like a brief stoppage of play when when Gene Segura got his 200th career double. Like I think they did, did a graphic up on the board, so you could just you know celebrate every round number. But but yeah, I, I think I think those you know at least right now because it's so far away. I think those could be kind of far away from from where we're at. I mean, I think like the new I we're gonna keep going back, but like I think the new bellwether like. If you think about like Vlad Senior, who was an excellent ball player in the 95th percentile, 96th percentile of all baseball players that have ever played the game, 2,590 hits, 449 career home runs, short of the metrics that we would consider to be like inner circle stuff. But like, I think that there are going to be players that are going to get to 2,500 hits, and there are going to be players that are going to get to 450 home runs is that not an acceptable baseline? Well, okay. I, I think that's, I think that is an interesting point because strictly in terms of like hall of fame conversation, we have these traditional 3000 and 500 and stuff. And I think, I think that kind of viewpoint could change so that we adjust our, our benchmark to, I think, I think 2,500 and, and then 400 home runs becomes the new in terms of like, when we talk about, okay, that's like that, qualifies for automatic hall of fame enshrinement if someone you know hits that 2500 hit mark and the 400 home run mark i do think maybe the conversation starts to shift just specifically in terms of hall of fame eligibility but maybe not in terms of like the on field of those moments Mm. i think that's fair yeah well that's kind of depressing so what do we celebrate then nothing i guess yeah no no more no more 200 doubles yeah Sure. Um, Sam. <laughs> yeah. Do you get checks from the government? And when you uh, do, do you deposit them in an ATM or do you use your cell? Internet. Okay. So actually, I have a wild card answer here for you. Or checks from the government? Yeah. Like, you don't just let the government put money in your bank account. The United States government. Uh, no, think- no, the government of Chile. What? I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm thinking out loud here. Uh, no, I think I, I think I have gotten it directly. Although jury duty check, uh, I do, although I do, I deposit my checks in person at the bank through a human teller. Ha <laughs> I didn't know I'd be ridiculed. No, 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 no. You're join join the elite uh, the elite club of us uh, old timers that actually like getting getting paper like hard copies of stuff. Right. Um, yeah. No, I, I and I bring it in person, and I to it. Yeah, Josh is going to be shit for that, but no, it's, <laughs> it's not awful. something to hang your head about. It's something to be proud of. Oh, I I'm go, not... I go into the bank physically for one reason, and that's because I need quarters for laundry. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. Wild. Um. Sam, did you have t- a takeaway? Uh, we can probably wrap up, but did you have a takeaway on uh on this game? We you know we talked about the the morons in the outfield. Um, yeah, but... I, I think I, I need some more filling on that, but that's I can do that on my own. But uh, I'm I'm glad to I'm glad Gallo sort of did something. It was at that point where you kind of just like feel bad for the guy, mm. and you, you just want him to get on base. <laughs> uh, so I'm glad that happened. And uh... do either of you have expectations for Derek Cole tomorrow? Oh, okay. The game well... is going to start on time. It's going to be warm. Billy Cristero. Oh. <laughs> yeah, barring unforeseen pregame um, delays or any other uh, incident that he can that he can point to if his start doesn't go well. No, I, it's Garrett Cole. I'm always going to say that he's going to shove on any given day. And yeah, like 
we can talk a lot about Garrett Cole, but I still he still has my complete faith. I mean, and I I do expect him to to. I mean, last time he faced Cleveland was in, well, no, that wasn't the last time he faced Cleveland. But I mean, I I still go back to that 13 strikeout game that he had in the wild card play playoff in 2020, uh, facing mm-hmm. off against Shane Bieber, and I that's. I expect I expect that out of him tomorrow more than I expect him to go two innings, <laughs> giving up like three runs. So, yeah, uh, we will we'll get out of here in a second. But uh, Brian, you had something you wanted to say. What's up? Yeah, guys, I just wanted to know. I've got two questions. One would be if Miguel was a Yankee and did this with his contract, he hasn't hit. I think he hasn't hit twenty home run more than twenty home runs since twenty sixteen, and I think he's got like two more year contracts. That's making a lot of money. Do you think he would be as celebrated if Miguel Cabrera was a Yankee? Yankee fans would be the most would be even more unbearable than they are. You really think so? With look, that contract, look at look at the way that they've treated Aaron Judge, who doesn't even have a two hundred eighty million dollar contract <laughs> yet. They would be crucifying yeah, that's what Miguel I, Cabrera. They'd be they'd be blood in the street. for for like. The last couple of years, it would have been really bad. Yeah, yeah. they would have yeah. been. All, everyone would have been very polite today. And Michael had some stupid <laughs> soliloquy that he does because he likes to sound important. But for the last three years, Miguel Cabrera would have woken up with a knife on his pillow, like like a fan would have <laughs> snuck in and placed it there. Oh, I was looking at the contract, and it's I can't believe how bad it was. I was like, Are you kidding me? I think it goes to he's till he's forty two years old. Yeah, yeah, twenty twenty four. Yeah, yeah. But the, the contract, when I looked it up, it was in red those last two years. So I don't know if that's player option or team option. So the last two player options? Yeah. 24 and 25? <laughs> yeah. Um, and and it's, it's so funny because, like, they announced the extension. So he had signed the first extension when 2010? And then they did another extension after the 2014 season that kicked in in 2016. 16, yeah. And it was like, okay, like, right now this guy's the best hitter on the planet. But that's not going to stay forever. How do you not? I don't know. It's such a weird, like, it's such a, these conversations are so weird. Cause like, how do you not lock up the best hitter your franchise has had in, I don't know. When did Al Kaline retired? Seventies? Yeah. Like, you know, the best player your franchise has had in 40 years. Well, Boston traded that center fielder. I can't think of his name. And you think to yourself, our team's going to make that decision of like, I'm not going to give a 10 year contract. I'd rather spread it around. And no, I think we've, I think we've absolutely seen that. I think the days of the Albert Pujols and, and Miguel Cabrera contracts and, and Robinson yeah. Cano for that matter is, are long gone. Like, yeah, I think that the, are not going to get a 10 year deal. I think that the move, I, I, I think that the move is going to be like, I think you are going to see more Tatis Wander Franco style extensions. I know yeah. the Jays are trying to get it done with Vlad and Bo, and both guys are saying, you know, no, I want to be free agents. Uh, in which case, you got to be like, you know, okay, like it sucks that you have that opinion, but it is what it is. But yeah, I, it's such a, and like it's sad that like for Miguel Cabrera, I think I think a similar thing with uh, Albert Pujols. Like, so Pujols is probably done after this year. Then he waits five years to go into the Hall, which means it'll be like. 17, 18 years, Albert Pujols was the man. And and it'll be a similar thing with Cabrera. It'll be, he won't get into the Hall of Fame until 2030. Mm-hmm. So again, we're talking like 15, 16 years since he was terrifying, like truly terrifying. And, you know, just such a weird little, weird little way that baseball history works. 
And my other question would be, what do you? Th- how much rope are the Yankees going to give Gallo? Do you think thirty more games if he only has a couple more, couple home runs and he has average is you know around two hundred? Like what? What is the? Oh, I would take him two hundred. Yeah, his his average is going to be around two hundred. Take that. <laughs> I mean, I but, guess well, like I guess like the que- my question to you would be like, what do you think the Yankees are going to do with Gallo? Yeah, like they're well, not going to cut him. They're not going to trade him. No, so, I'm just saying that his his play would be dramatically decreased. Well, uh, I I no, I think they're going to continue to play him, uh, if only because they're really locked into this. Um, I don't know if you read the site, but one of our regular commenters came up with something that he called the 130 game plan. Yeah. Which basically you have 10 players for nine positions and everybody gets 130 games. And I think Boone talked about this in, and the, the phrase he used is 500 at bats. Everyone is going to get 500 at bats. And I think it's just a way to keep guys fresh. Like forget about whatever production Gallo may or may not give you. It's just a way to, you know, keep guys healthy. So now I, I I do think that like I think that if you know this were to continue, Gallo would find himself in the position that Glaber Torres is, where he is the default bench guy. Yeah, because you can't take Lemayhew out right now. Uh, IKF has looked pretty good over the last week and a half, so I think that Gallo could find himself in that situation. You know, obviously Glaber Torres is still getting playing time, but he is not. He's not penciled into the lineup every single day, and I think. In, in Gallo's case, it would be a situation where Judge and Stanton are in the lineup every single day, and then it's a coin flip whether or not you have Hicks or Gallo. I mm-hmm. think that that could happen. But I also like, I think that there's some structural problems. I don't know, I'm going to write an article about this at some point. I think there's some structural problems to having Joey Gallo at Yankee Stadium. Um, I just, I'm not sure the field works for him and his kind of play, but this is a guy who has had five seasons of being an all-star being a very productive hitter with all of the warts that he brings uh, and being a really good defender. And you don't like defense doesn't, I know he hasn't been great this year, but defense doesn't generally crater in 27, 28 year olds, especially playing a corner outfield. You know, it's not like he's playing shortstop. So, you know, it's April 25th or whatever day it is. I don't even know. But it's time. 23rd. It's even earlier than I thought. So, you know, let's worry about Joey gets in June. In June. Yeah. To me, the, the biggest upgrade, like, I can see make them making and with the trade, and I, I'm still surprised they went into the season with it, is the catching position. I just can't imagine this is, these two catchers are going to be our catchers at the end of the year. I'd be really surprised. Oh, I oh they absolutely the, are. <laughs> the, 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 the pitching, you, oh my god. People wonder why it's so good. Part of it is because not Blake and all the rest, but like, this is why they went with Higgy and Trevino is, is because they're excellent defensive catchers. And um, I'm morbidly curious if there's more in Trevino's bat than, than he has shown. There's nothing in Kyle Higashioka's bat. Oh my God. Nothing in that bat. There's nothing in Higgy's bat. Where like a bunch of people online that are (laughs) determined to prove that they're smarter than everybody else was like, Oh, like Higgy's last 250 batted balls have an X will of this. And like, I like doing that stuff, but like, Look on, man. Kyle Agashioka sucks offensively. Great defensive catcher. Terrible offensively. I'm interested, like, given that Boone said we're going to go to this 50-50 tandem, um, I'm interested to see who starts tomorrow because Garrett Cole has this thing where he has to throw to Higashioka, but I would rather be giving Trevino 
playing time right now. That might just be me. And I think it might be a good way to kind of shock Cole out of whatever thing. I don't know. It would also give him a good excuse if he sucked. So maybe you should really do it. And then Cole, because it wasn't my fault. I, I, had, I wasn't throwing to my catcher. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm also, I'm also think, think I'm on the Trevino train, but, um, but no, I think, I think Higgy catches tomorrow because Cole's going to get his way. Um, but I mean, I think the Yankees have also preseason resigned themselves to getting zero production, offensive production. And I don't really care what anybody says about seeing upside in Rort Vets bet and, and bat, or, you know, like you said, Higgy's, Higgy's lost whatever batted balls. Like, no, give me a break. Like, I, like, they're known quantities at this point, and it was it was a calculation of do we want the value that they're going to be provide to us be offensive or defensive? And, and they, honestly, I'm fine with it because at, me too. It's the best pitching staff in the American League. Yeah, and what I'm more yeah exactly, and what I'm more interested to see, I want to see what like Trevino and Higgy's combined framing runs are at the end of the year because I would wager it would be well ahead of any other catcher or catching tandem in in baseball. Sam, any final thoughts before we get out of here? Yeah, yeah, it was just. I agree. Just that, that was a that was a preconceived. That's how it was going to be. There wasn't going to be any offense, and I don't think any should have been expected or expected in the future. But I think there. Yeah, like you said, the other side of that, we've already seen the dividends. So okay, if I could just give like one final thought on Gallo, and like I am probably one of, <laughs> I'm probably one of his lesser supporters on the entire staff. But like, he is not a 17 WRC plus true talent player. Like it's no. gonna get better. So, you know, we can we can still criticize him. We can still pick holes in his swing because there's a lot of holes there to be picked. But he's gonna he's gonna come around from being. I mean, he's just, like, like I said, he's not a 17 WRC plus hitter. And I guess I mean I think um, <laughs> I guess he his clothes right this morning. Get over yourself. <laughs> gonna start sending you an invoice every time you make a joke like that <laughs> charge me 11 dollars every time that i make a, a yeah. joke now getting dressed joke exactly okay um the yankees have won four to five things are looking good um for the first time all year i feel, feel kind of confident about this team go yankees thank you sam thank you peter sure thing thank you you know John. what you know what i'm feeling i'm feeling uh generous al you got 30 seconds because i want to go eat something hello uh, Al calling in from uh, Wisconsin, man. I'm happy the Yankees won, man. It's a phenomenal win. I hope this uh, catapults us, man, to keep them going, man. Definitely, I'm definitely happy about the. All right, thanks for thanks for thanks for joining us, Al. Yeah, no problem, man. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, have a good day, everybody. It's Saturday, Saturday afternoon where I am, and it's gorgeous outside. So go do something outside. It's fun. Yeah. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Peter. Yep. Yep. Sam, Josh. Until next time. Go Yankees. Cheers, guys. See you guys.